questions to the Prime Minister. Mr Nigel Adam. Uh, question number one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Nigel Adam. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On her 21st birthday in 1947, a young woman declared that her whole life, whether long or short, would be dedicated to the service of our nation. Nobody, Mr Speaker, could possibly argue that Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II has done anything other than fulfil her promise to the nation with dignity and grace. People across the country will be marking the Queen's birthday, 90th birthday, tomorrow in many different ways. Many honourable and right honourable members will have joined the WI in the Clean for the Queen initiative, tidying up our neighbourhoods. Some will be raising a small glass and many will be having a proper knees up tomorrow, Mr Speaker. So when the Prime Minister next has an audience with the Queen, will he pass on my best wishes and those and those and those of the whole House to our remarkable monarch and long may she reign. Um, I'm, I'm very glad very glad my honourable friend has raised this. I will certainly pass on his best wishes and uh, best wishes from right across uh, Yorkshire. Tomorrow is an important landmark, not only for Her Majesty the Queen, but also for our country and for the Commonwealth as a whole. She has served our nation with such dignity, with such ability for so many years, 64 years on the throne. And I think it's right we're going to have the opportunity in the House, Mr Speaker, tomorrow to pay tribute to what she's done. And I know the whole country and the whole House will want to join me in saying, long may she reign over us. Mr Speaker, thank you very much Mr Speaker. I'm also looking forward to wishing her a happy birthday tomorrow. But until then Mr Speaker, until then Mr Speaker, could the Prime Minister explain why he is intent on forcing good and outstanding schools to become academies against the wishes of teachers, parents, school governors and local councillors? The, the short answer is because we want schools to be run by head teachers and teachers and not by bureaucrats. That is why we support the policy. But we also support it because of the clear evidence of academies. If you look at converter academies, 88% of them are either good or outstanding. And you look at schools started by academies, they see a 10% improvement on average over the first two years. The results are better, education's improving. I say let's complete the work. Mr Speaker, he hasn't managed to convince the former chair of the Education Select Committee, his friend the member for Beverley and Holderness, who said, and I quote, current evidence does not prove that academies raise standards overall or for disadvantaged children. Why is the Prime Minister ignoring evidence of Select Committee chairs and so many others on this issue? The results speak for themselves. Under this government, there are 1.4 million more pupils in good or outstanding schools. But let me me take him to a school near where he lives. 
let's try the Downhills Primary School, not far from his constituency. It was in special measures, it was taken over by an academy, and two years later it was a good school. So the question I would put to the Leader of the Opposition, and indeed so many of other MPs opposite, why do you want to stand on a picket line under a banner saying save our failing school? Mr Speaker, as he well knows, every teacher, every parent, every pupil wants the best they can get for their schools and they want a good education system. What many are concerned about is this top-down reorganisation. If he won't listen to the former chair of the Education Select Committee, will he listen to his friend, the member for Colchester, who said this, if a school is well-governed, well-run, and performing well, it should be left alone and allowed to do its job. Can the Prime Minister explain why good school leaders should focus their time and resources not on educating children, but on arbitrary changes imposed from above? Let me make make two points on on the specific issue he raises. I would say to outstanding or to good schools, they have nothing to fear from becoming academies, but a huge amount to gain. The truth is, even about outstanding or good schools, we want them to be even better. And the truth is, academies and greater independence, letting head teachers run their schools, has been hugely effective. And actually, this is something started by the Labour government, given rocket boosters under this government. We see massive improvements in our schools because of academies. And we say, let's get on with it, finish the job, and give all our children a great opportunity. Mr Speaker, I'm sure the Prime Minister is aware of the views of people in Oxfordshire on this issue. (laughs) Councillor Tilly, the Conservative Cabinet Members for Education in his own county, said, I'm fed up with diktats from above, saying, you will do this and you won't do that. He claims to be an advocate of devolution. So is he not concerned about criticisms from his friend, the member for Altrincham and Sale West, who says there is little accountability or parental involvement? Can't the Prime Minister understand the anger so many people feel that are just being imposed on them a system they don't want on what are often already very good, if not outstanding, schools? Well, it's, it's always good to get a lecture on diktats from someone whose press secretary is an avowed Stalinist, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pass over that. I'll pass over that. The truth is, the truth is, creating academies is true devolution because you're putting the power in the hands of the head teachers and the teachers. And of course, of course, you'll find people in local government who want to keep things exactly as they are. But the truth is, one of the reasons I so strongly support academies is that when they fail, they're intervened on so much faster. Local authority schools are often left to fail year after year after year. I think one year of a failing school is one year too many. So let's encourage academies, let's build a great education system and let's have opportunity for all our children. Mr Speaker, last week um, I spent a very interesting afternoon at a local school in my constituency. I visited Duncan Primary School and it is a good to outstanding school and I had a long discussion with 
the head teacher, parents, parent governors, and year six pupils. The year six pupils were very interesting. Harwan, Tasnia, Eamon, and Marianne asked me to say this to the Prime Minister Why are you doing this? They love their school. They like the school the way it is. They don't want any top-down reorganisation. And he hasn't even convinced the former Education Secretary, Kenneth Baker, who says, I don't quite know why the government is doing this. What's his answer to those very smart pupils in Year 6? My answer to those pupils in Year 6 is actually very much the answer that he gave because I was following his tour of this school. And this is what the right hon. Gentleman said. He said this, I want to see a family of schools and I want to see them properly funded. Now, of course, with our reform to the national funding formula, there will be fair funding right across the country. And with our plans, and with our plans for academies, there will be genuine families of schools, families that choose to group together. And here's the point about outstanding schools. Not only will they be able to get better, but in groups of academies, they'll be able to help other schools to improve. So again, that's why we need this reform, to make outstanding schools, good schools even better, and to help raise the aspiration of all. That's what it's all about. Mr Speaker, we appear to be heading into some kind of fantasy land here. The Institute, the Institute, for, Fiscal Studies, the Institute for Fiscal Studies states that school spending is expected to fall by at least 7% in real terms in the next four years, the biggest cut since the 1970s. So why on earth? Is the Prime Minister proposing to spend £1.3 billion on a top down reorganisation that wasn't in his manifesto? Teachers don't want it, parents don't want it, governors don't want it, head teachers don't want it, even his own MPs and councillors don't want it. Can't he just think again and support schools and education, not force this on them? Let me answer his question very directly about spending, because we have, of course, we have protected spending per pupil all the way through the last Parliament and all the way through this Parliament, and we're spending £7 billion on more school places to make up for the woeful lack of action under the last Labour government. That is the truth on spending. Now, he talks about fantasy land. I think it's the Labour Party that this week entered fantasy land when they are now abandoning Trident in Scotland. They've selected someone who sits on platforms with extremists in London and they've now decided, when I read, when I read they were going to ban McDonnell from the party conference, I thought it was the first sensible decision they've made. But it turns out it wasn't the job destroyer they wanted to keep away from their conference. It was one of Britain's biggest employers. No wonder, no wonder Labour MPs are in despair. Frankly, I'm loving it. Thank you, uh, Christopher Chu. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I, can I ask my right honourable friend? whether he agrees with the Treasury forecast issued on Monday, which warns that if we stay in the European Union, there will be three million more migrants by the year 2030. 
Last year, my right honourable friend and I were elected on a clear manifesto pledge to reduce net migration to the tens of thousands. How are we going to be able to deliver on that pledge unless we leave the European Union? The, the point about the Treasury forecast is it takes the Office of National Statistics figures and the ORB figures and it doesn't alter them, but it's trying to make a very clear and pure argument, backed by the Governor of the Bank of England yesterday, that what shows what would happen if Britain leaves the EU. Now, there's a demand out there for independent and clear statistics, and that's exactly what the Treasury provided. It's believed that the recent murder... It's believed that the recent murder of Glasgow shopkeeper Assad Shah was religiously motivated. And this week, Christian, Jewish, Sikh and Ahmadiyya Muslim faith leaders launched a campaign across Scotland entitled United Against Extremism. Will the Prime Minister join me and colleagues of all parties in supporting the aims of this campaign to support and foster understanding and stand up to extremism. I will certainly join the Right Honourable Gentleman. This was an absolutely shocking murder, and I think what it demonstrates again, and what his question hints at, is that we need not only to stand up against violence and acts of appalling violence like this, but we also need to stand up against the extremist mindset that sometimes tries to justify events like this or, or other such outrages. Yeah, yeah. Robertson. In total agreement with the Prime Minister, and the murder of uh, Assad Shah is just the most recent example of sectarian extremism targeting the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in the UK. This includes reports of Ahmadiyya being refused employment, of businesses being boycotted, of school children being bullied and shunned, and people like Amar Anwar, who've worked to bring faith leaders together, have faced death threats. Does the Prime Minister agree that this is totally unacceptable? in a country where we believe in free speech and religious tolerance. And the time has come for all community and all faith leaders of all religions to stand up against extremism. Yeah. Now, I certainly agree that faith leaders can play a huge role in standing up against extremism, and I welcome what they do. But again, I think we need to be very clear about what we're facing. The attack on Ahmadiyya Muslims by uh, other uh, Muslims uh, demonstrates once again that what we face is not some clash of civilizations between uh, Islam and Christianity or Islam and Buddhism. What we are seeing is a small minority within one of the great religions of our world, Islam, believing that there is only one way, a violent extremist way, of professing their faith. This is a battle within Islam and we have to be on the side of the moderate majority and make sure that they win it. We have to really understand what is happening here, otherwise we'll take the wrong path. Kevin Foster. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The future of services provided by Paynton Hospital has been thrown into doubt this week by news that the CCG and Local Trust are about to launch a consultation that could see it closed with no replacement. Does the Prime Minister share my concerns and would he agree it is vital services are replaced and the Trust and CCG justify their actions? Well, what I am aware of the draft proposals concerning Paynton Hospital, and I understand that no decision has yet been made. The plans are due to be considered by the Clinical Commissioning Group's governing body, and remember these bodies are now, by and large, clinically led, and I think that is important. Decisions about what services are required uh, will be taken by that group, but if there are significant changes, they do still have to meet four key tests, support from clinical commissioners, strengthen public and patient engagement, clarity on the clinical evidence base and support for patient choice. All those things have to be satisfied. Geraint Davis. Mr Speaker, the air in our cities is both toxic 
and illegal, with diesel fumes contributing to 800 deaths a week. That's 40,000 killings a year. So why is the Prime Minister, instead of removing the most heavily polluting diesel vehicles from our streets, lobbying the EU in Brussels with the Mayor of London to weaken plans to improve our air quality and save lives. We are investing in better air quality. Since 2011, we've committed over £2 billion to help bus operators upgrade their fleets. We've seen air quality improve between 2010 and 2014 in terms of emissions of nitrous oxides coming down by 17%. When it comes to these standards that we all have to meet, we are working with our car industry, and I want a strong car industry in Britain. I'm proud of the fact that it's recovered so strongly, that in the northeast of England we now make more cars than in the whole of Italy, that we are a major investor and builder of diesel engines, but we're going to make sure that they have the resources they need to meet the highest standards that are set out. Matt Warman. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It, it is a truth universally acknowledged, Mr Speaker, that fish and chips taste best on the beaches of Skegness, and that's why four million people visit those beaches every year. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that we should work with the Environment Agency, the Local Enterprise Partnership, the local councils, build on the work of this government that has brought jobs and growth, extend the tourist season and build a billion pound coastal economy by the end of this decade? My honourable friend is absolutely right and that is why I announced the five point plan for tourism last year to encourage people uh, to visit UK resorts both from overseas and British people uh, as well and that's exactly what's happening and isn't it interesting in the week when we're supporting fish and chips on this side of the house they're banning McDonald's. Sue Heyman. Thank you Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker more than 2,000 people have signed a petition started by Alison's um, chemist in Cockermouth in my constituency, calling on the government not to cut the funding of community pharmacies. Given the media reports last week regarding the actions of Boots, who now face investigation by the regulator, isn't it time the Prime Minister and his government supported independent pharmacies like Alison's, which are a vital lifeline for our community and help to keep our high streets alive? No, but we are supporting rural pharmacies. There's a specific scheme to help there. But if we look at the last five years, there was a massive increase in pharmacy spending. And as we make sure that as much of the NHS resources go to the front line, the doctors and the nurses and the operations and the A&E that we want to see carried out, we've got to make sure we're getting value for money in pharmacy, while at the same time protecting the rural pharmacies that she speaks about. Christopher Pincher. Mr. Speaker. Given his earlier important comments, does my right honourable friend agree that it is the duty of all members of this House to condemn without caveat all extremism and never, never to share a platform with any extremist? I think my honourable friend is, is absolutely right. If we are going to condemn not just violent extremism, but also the extremism that seeks to justify violence in any way, it is very important that we do not back these people and we do not appear on platforms with them. And I have to say, I am concerned about Labour's candidate for, as Mayor of London, who has appeared again and again and again. Well, well the, the leader of the Labour Party, the leader of the Labour Party is saying it's disgraceful. Let me tell him. Right, so, Suleiman Ghani, 
The honourable member for Tooting has appeared on a platform with him nine times. This man supports IS. He even shared a platform. But, Mr. Speaker, I think they are shouting down this point because they don't want to hear the truth. Anyone can make a mistake about who they appear on a platform with. We're not always responsible for what our political opponents say. But if you do it time after time after time, it is right to question your judgment. Uh, dear Mr. Speaker, News overnight of a management and worker buyout at Tata Steel Port Talbot will bring hope to the 18,000 people whose livelihoods are supported by the company across the supply chain. It is critically important that the UK Government provides all the support it can. Will the Prime Minister become the company's head of sales and meet personally with Port Talbot's 20 biggest uh, customers who make up around 50% of its sales to ensure that no orders for Well Steel are lost? Well, we will certainly do everything we can to help this company and also to help it with its customers during this difficult time. Right now we are talking with the Board of Tata to make sure that all the questions they need answered are answered by us because we want to have a proper sales process with proper buyers coming forward and we want to be very clear that the Government is prepared to support that process and support the outcome and that's exactly what we'll do. The EU's security is only as strong as its weakest border. So does the Prime Minister share my concerns not only over Chancellor Merkel's apparent legitimisation of President Erdogan's reservations about freedom of speech, but crucially her decision to liberalise um, visas, Turkish visas, in a country with such poor Syrian borders and such booming identity fraud, and is he concerned that currently Chancellor Merkel seems to be outstripping everyone in making the case for Brexit? <laughs> what I'd say to my honourable friend is it's certainly true if you're in the Schengen zone then you're only as strong as your weakest border. That is absolutely right. But we, of course, are not in the Schengen zone. That's the first point I'd make. The second point I'd make is, of course, the Schengen zone has decided to offer uh, visas to Turkish nationals. We have not made that decision, so we won't be making that decision. But remember, a visa is not a right to go and live and work or reside. A visa is a right to visit. And so let's be clear also that those Turks with their visas visiting Schengen countries don't have those rights and they don't have the right automatically to come to Britain either. Very important to get this clear. John Speller. In the last hour, Mr Speaker, we've had the devastating news that British Gas proposed to close their Oldbury site with the loss of 700 jobs. Will the Prime Minister instruct his ministers to immediately contact the company and the unions and to arrange urgent meetings, preferably to save these jobs, or if that proves impossible, to establish a task force to create alternative opportunities for this loyal and hard-working workforce. Yeah. I can certainly give the Honourable Gentleman that assurance. I heard this news shortly before question time as well. We will make sure that a task force of ministers is available to talk to the company, to talk to the local community, to provide all the assistance in terms of retraining and other things that can be done to help. Yeah. Mr Kenneth Clark. Yeah. Speaker. <clears throat> Uh, Mrs Thatcher used occasionally to organise seminars for ministers and senior academics for colleagues like myself whose knowledge of modern science she thought needed to be improved. <laughs> <laughs> Would he contemplate similar seminars for some of his senior and very respected cabinet colleagues with businessmen on the nature of international trade in today's world? 
because some very respected figures appear to believe that you simply turn up and sell goods and services that comply with British-made rules but don't have to comply with any rules agreed with the country to which you are selling. Uh, and would he also include many, some of the many businessmen who are putting investment decisions on hold now because of the uncertainty about Brexit after June the 23rd, uh, which illustrates the dangers we would run we made our whole future trading arrangements with the outside world as uncertain as some people are trying to do. <laughs> I always listen very carefully to my right hon. Friend and will uh, consider such seminars. I, I hope they won't be as frightening as seminars sometimes used to be under Margaret Thatcher. I remember one of the very first times I met her, I was responsible for trade and industry research. She asked me what the day's trade figures were. I didn't know, and I've never wanted the floor to open up and swallow me uh, more than at that moment. I think the point my honourable friend makes, which is absolutely right, is that just because you have friendly relations with a country doesn't mean you get automatically good trade relations. We're very pleased that President Obama is coming here uh, this Friday, but it is worth noting that even though we have the friendliest relations with America, we currently cannot sell beef or lamb to the United States of America. The point about this is you don't just need good relations, you need nailed down trade arrangements. Yeah. Imran Hussein. Uh, Mr Speaker, at the budget, the Chancellor announced the creation of a Northern Schools strategy, which I broadly welcome. But I am concerned that all the progress it could make could then be reversed by the government's forced academisation plans. Why is the government pushing these plans, which parents in my constituency don't want, and plans which even a former Tory Education Secretary describes as plain daft and unnecessary. Well, what I say to the Honourable Gentleman is to, to wait for the outcome of this review which my uh, right hon. friend the Chancellor set up. But the point I'd make is that some schools that have been failing for year after year have been left by local authorities in that state. And actually we've found that the way to help succeeding schools to fly and for failing schools to improve is to have academies. The evidence is right there in front of us and that's why we're so keen on progressing this. Dr Liam Fox. Thank you Mr Speaker. One of the reasons that my right honourable friend led this party to victory last year's general election was our pledge to reduce immigration to the tens of thousands. So can he tell us further to my honourable friend's question from Christchurch, why the OBR, why the OBR project immigration to be above 200,000 a year for the rest of this decade? By what assumptions do they reach this figure? And can you give us some details? <laughs> Well, well, to give him some details, the OBR don't take into account, for instance, the agreements that we've just reached with the European Union over welfare and other immigration restrictions. The Treasury document is very clear about not trying to make all sorts of different assumptions about variables, but to take a very clear set of statistics established by the OBR. And that's why it was interesting when the Governor of the Bank of England came out and said it was an analytically robust process. But as for the detail, it doesn't take into account the agreement that we reached in Europe. Stella Creasy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In 2009, Michelle Samawira was brutally raped and murdered in Walthamstow. Since 2011, 
A man wanted in connection with this crime and seven other counts of sexual violence in my constituency has been evading extradition from India. Over 30 court appearances to date and another one planned for tomorrow. Yet despite the severity of this crime and the delay in these proceedings, there is no record at all of any ministerial or diplomatic representations from either the Foreign Office or the Home Office. Will the Prime Minister today personally commit to put this right and directly raise this matter with his counterpart Narendra Modi so that we can finally seek justice for Michelle? Well, I'm very happy to give uh, the Honourable Lady that assurance. The British Government always raises all these individual cases if that is what the the victims uh, want us to do. Uh, And we always raise them, just as we raise a series of cases where there are British uh, people stuck in the Indian justice system. So I'm very happy to give her that assurance. I wasn't aware of this specific case. If she gives me the details, I'll make sure we raise it appropriately. Mr Henry Smith. Thank you very much, uh, Mr Speaker. With the President of the United States visiting the UK later this week, can I ask my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, to raise the issue of the Chagos Islanders? The government rightly concluded uh, in a report last year uh, that they have a right of resettlement. Uh, and uh, with the US uh, military presence on Diego Garcia, will he uh, raise the case uh, of US assistance for the right of return of the Chagos Islanders to the British Indian Ocean Territory? Uh, I certainly will we'll be discussing this, this issue, and I know that it's right that my Honourable friend raises it because there are many uh, Chagossians who live in his constituency of Crawley. Uh, it, what he said is not entirely correct. What the National Security Council and the Cabinet have been doing is looking at the situation of the Chagos Islanders and reviewing all of the options for how we can help with their future. Uh, those discussions have taken place, uh, and obviously we need to come to a conclusion about the best way forward. This is Helen Goodman. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Some people think that the worst case that has been made so far to vote to leave the EU is the claim that England is an island. Could the Prime Minister tell the House what the worst argument he's heard from the Brexiters is? Um, I think probably the one that we'd get out of the Eurovision Song Contest. I think that is uh, not only would be incredibly sad, but I think given that, um, given that Israel and Azerbaijan and, and anyone anywhere near Europe seems to be able to uh, enter Australia, that I think we're pretty safe from, from, from that one. Mr Bernard Jenkins. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Would my... Would my... Would my right honourable friend point out to President Obama that in a series of European court judgments such as Davis and Schrems, using EU data protection laws and the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights, the EU has established its jurisdiction over our intelligence data and sought to prevent our intelligence sharing with the United States. Will he therefore warn the President that if we vote Remain, far from the US gaining influence in the EU, the United States is losing control and influence over her closest ally. I'm, I'm sure the President will take all of these um, calculations uh, into account before saying anything he might have to say. Let me just make two points. First of all, this decision is a decision for the British people and the British people alone. We are sovereign in making this decision. Personally, I believe we should listen to advice 
from friends and other countries. And I struggle to find the leader of any friendly country who thinks we should uh, leave. The second point, when it comes to the United States, it is worth looking at what so many um, Treasury Secretaries have said, uh, going back over Republican or Democrat administrations. It may not be the determining fact for many people, indeed for any people, but listening to what our friends say in the world is not a bad idea. Mr Speaker, the average property price in my borough of Hackney is £682,000. The median lower quartile rent for a two-bedroom flat for a month is £1,500, and overcrowding and demand for social housing is the highest I've seen in 20 years. Can the Prime Minister tell my constituents how on earth the housing bill is going to help them? Well, it's going to help them because we're building starter homes for the first time that people can buy. We're extending the right to buy to housing association tenants so they can buy homes. Well, well, well I, I notice um, yeah. Lady Nugie giving us the benefit of her wisdom. There are many people in her constituency who'd love to buy a council house or a housing association house. Also, we've got the help to buy scheme, which is helping many people get on the housing ladder. And with shared ownership as well, all of those things uh, will help. Since 2010, 101,000 homes have been built in London, including 67,000 affordable homes. We need to build many more, and we need to make them accessible to people who work hard and do the right thing. And that's whose side we're on. Mr Speaker, uh, Prime Minister, um, on a slightly environmental note still, wood, um, woodland is much valued, not least for recycling much of our hot air, uh, but especially ancient woodland, and there's only 2% of it remaining. It's as precious as the rainforest, and its biodiversity can't be replaced. Would the Prime Minister agree that this precious habitat, and the Prime Minister has 331 ancient and veteran trees in his constituency, would he agree that it ought to be protected in line with heritage sites and national monuments? Well, I'm very lucky to have the, an ancient forest, the Witchwood Forest, in my constituency, probably containing many of the trees that she mentions. I'll look very carefully at what she says. I think perhaps the most important thing we can do is make sure that we are planting more forests, more trees, more woodland, which this government has a very good record on. In Nigel Dodds. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Secretary of State for Northern Ireland said recently, and rightly, that politics in Northern Ireland was on a more stable footing than it has been for some time. And we, for our part, will continue to offer strong leadership for a better future in Northern Ireland. But people in Northern Ireland are concerned about a two-sided approach to the past, as exemplified by the decision this week to investigate a police officer who bravely stopped an IRA bomber trying to kill police officers 25 years ago at a police station. Will the Prime Minister agree with me that we have to get behind our security forces, praise them for the work they did in Northern Ireland, and not persecute them going forward? First of all, let me pay tribute to the Honourable Gen- Right Honourable Gentleman and his um, uh, members of Parliament and members of the Assembly. I think it's right to say that politics in Northern Ireland is more stable and, frankly, is more productive now than it's been for many years. Obviously, these issues around um, uh, the acts of the past still cause a huge amount of pain and difficulty on all sides of the debate. But I think one of the things we have to hold on to is the fact that we have an independent and impartial justice system. Order.